Welcome in, everybody. Blythe Brumley of the Digital Dispatch Podcast here. And ooh, I got a good one for you today. You probably know this gentleman by the name of Dooner and hear him all across the FreightWaves audio and video space. He has single-handedly brought entertainment into an industry that most considered as quote-unquote boring. Listening to his show, What the Truck, it's evolved from the early days into what it is today, which is three days every single week covering the top freight and logistics news around the globe. And it's truly a moment of reflection as the casual audience out there have realized how much of the global supply chain plays a role in our everyday lives. Because of COVID and Dooner's ability to break down complex situations into digestible audio nuggets, he's helped bring logistics talk into the mainstream. He's also helped folks like me realize you actually can bring a multifaceted personality into a space that's been traditionally a little stiff media coverage wise. All this to say that it was pretty rad to finally get a chance to chat with him about his experience on all sides of the freight coin before ultimately interviewing Craig Fuller, founder of Freight Waves, that resulted in a job offer that has put Dooner on the path that he finds himself today. So let's not wait any further. Here's my chat with director of audio at Freight Waves, Tim Dooner. Welcome in Timothy Dooner from Freightways, director of audio. And I'm sure for most folks, they are used to, you know, hearing your voice all the time, especially in the freight industry, uh, and maybe know a little bit about your backstory. But for the folks who don't know, can you go ahead and break that down for us? Uh, gee, as, as the older I get, the longer the story gets. So I'll try and I'll try and give you the like the sort of truncated version. But my story is like not too dissimilar to most people's stories. They they didn't come from the world of freight. I personally went to school to be a rock star. I went to California Institute of the Arts uh, for music production, music technology. I worked in the record industry for a while. Then um, Napster came out and that big digital transformation made uh, money kind of hard to come by in Hollywood. So I had to get a real job. Um, I moved back to Boston, which is funny because my parents had moved out and my sister moved out to California. They followed me here and then I did oh, no. them and I moved back to Boston <laughs> on them. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, it, I was um, it, it was one of those points in my life. One of the things that will come with my story is, is going to rehab and battling alcoholism. But in 2005, I, I was having a lot of troubles with that. and It was getting me in trouble with my my parents who had agreed to let me stay with them for a little bit while I found a job. And it just wasn't working in California when I was trying to switch out of music. And then a buddy of mine in Boston was like, hey, I got a room open for 500 bucks at my place. It was on the subway, so I wouldn't need a car. I move out there. I got to get a job after a few months, though, because I was running out of money. And my dad says, hey, I know this. My dad came from he's been in this industry forever. He worked at Roanoke Insurance on the insurance side in the Boston and New York market. So he knew a few people and he was like, hey, Probably not exactly what you're looking for, but I know a guy at FedEx Trade Networks. He's looking for a broker to do a job. I had no effing clue like what a broker was, what they didn't trade. It sounded terrible, but I also needed money and I needed health insurance and I needed all that kind of stuff um, so I could buy more alcohol. <laughs> um, but so I, I started a job there and it was it was cool, though, because I didn't know what I was doing and it was great. I've always been curious about things and curious about learning things. And I took that initiative into FedEx Trade Networks with me. And they threw me onto Reebok Air Shipments like first day, a big account they just landed. And because this is freight, they like to just throw bodies at things. But it was great. It worked as great training. And FedEx eventually did give a, a ton of training and context. And it served as a good proving ground 
I was able to move from like air freight to ocean and then to duty drawback. Um, from there, I transitioned to like sales and marketing. In 2016, I was with this terrible company who I won't name, but if you know, you can look up my LinkedIn, you'll figure it out. Uh, they fired me when my wife was eight months pregnant. Oh. At the time, at the time, I was trying to launch a podcast, though. Like one of the things I really wanted to do and I was bugging them about, which may be why they fired me, was I wanted to start a freight podcast really bad because I was doing sales and I was like, man if I could do a freight podcast, it'd be a great way, like a Trojan horse to doing interviews and those kind of things. And it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because um, I had an alcohol problem I've been dealing with and a depression problem I've been dealing with since I was 18 years old, maybe earlier than that. And um, I still had a little health insurance left and my life was kind of spiraling out of control. So mm -hmm. I decided that with that time, I was going to go into rehab for dual diagnosis. And also I was going to start a podcast. Like that would be part of my recovery. That would be my project. And then I was doing that for a while before getting discovered by a boarding company um, now known as uh, Freight Plus. They wanted me to come on. I launched a podcast called Consulting Logistics for them. Worked there for two years, interviewed Craig Fuller at Freight Waves. He says, hey, come on over to Freight Waves a week later. And then the rest is history. Now I've been here for two years, long enough that we're uh, we're actually moving up. We're we're moving out of here. So if you're familiar with my crappy bedroom studio, it's going to be elevated in a in a few weeks here. Oh, I'm sure it is. Anything that Freight Waves does is is ten out of ten. So I'm sure you're going to get way hooked up with the new studio space. And 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 first of all, thank you for sharing. You know that that personal story. I think that's something that just needs to be shared more often. And especially over this last year, I think so many people are dealing with those inner demons and, and, and how to control them. And, and, and how, when did you first know that that was a problem for you, especially for uh, career wise from it, maybe it was preventing you from becoming your, your greater self. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. And it kept me in positions of comfort because I would come into work hungover so mm -hmm. often that like I love doing duty drawback because I didn't have to deal with anybody. And like mm -hmm. putting drawback claims together was a puzzle. So you could be super, which is weird because all I do is talk to people now. I interview like 500 people a year. Oh but at that gosh. point in my life, I was like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to mm -hmm. put together drawback puzzles and go home and get tanked and, you know, repeat this cycle. And I did that for, for years, so much so that um, I had a boss I really respected at FTN. She's like, Look, she pulled me aside and she's like, look, I was your age one time too. I was in my 20s at that time. And she's like, I used to come in smelling like a broken bar. You come in smelling like a broken bar, Tim. People notice uh, we have clients coming in tomorrow. You got to go take care of yourself. And like mm -hmm. that first gave me some self-awareness to it. Um, I had been thinking about my depression and alcoholism at the time. So I went to rehab for the first time then. And I went with the wrong intentions. I was like, I want to see if I'm not an alcoholic, can I stay sober for 90 days? Which I did. And then almost immediately afterwards, it just started ratcheting back up. And that sent me on kind of another downward spiral all the way until 2016 when I really addressed it. And I addressed it by admitting that that was really a problem, but that was hard to do. It's hmm. really it, it's really hard to sort of stigmatize and label yourself with one of those things. And I think one of the reasons I did that TED Talk and I talk about it so often now is it's taking power and it's taking control over this really negative aspect of your life and redirecting that energy in, mm -hmm. in a positive way. And also because a mentor of mine, he went through a similar journey of sobriety and I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know he had done it. Mm -hmm. And I've become more aware of the platform that I have. So I, um, I try and bring those issues into our program, especially as you mentioned during this pandemic, those conversations and addressing those. And, and that's sort of the scope of, of Freight. I've been trying to expand and expand the boundaries of what you can actually cover on a Freight podcast. And I, you, to 
bring that up to light. I think it's just so powerful for other people to hear somebody else going through those struggles and, and recognizing maybe their own inner demons of what they're going through and how they can become a, a better version of themselves. How do you, have you gotten, I guess, I don't want to say a good response, but have you gotten responses from other people that are, have been going through the same thing? Oh, a ton, a ton of responses. I mean, usually via DM, because for a lot of people, this is a very, very personal thing. And I completely understand that, why they wouldn't want to out their own situations. Or I get a lot of messages too from people who have loved ones. And they're like, hey, my loved one's honestly going through this experience. And, you know, in freight, especially people who work in freight, and then you put cells on top of that, if you've been to most logistics conferences, they're drinking fest. I mean, people are barely in there for the sessions most of the time. They're, you know, by two o'clock, they're at the bar, especially those multiple day ones. Um, at, at least the older conferences I used to go to. And there was just a big culture of it. And it wasn't looked down upon if you would drink, you know, 12 beers and four shots of whiskey. That was part of the culture. So it's hard to get out of that culture. And I know for me, one of the reasons I didn't want to address it, especially when I was in sales, is I was like, this is how I meet people. This is how I, I deal with people. But a problem is that a big aspect of that was like my own, my own social anxiety. And I had this therapist and they were like, you're using alcohol as a crotch. You're using it as, as, as a means to an end. But have you thought about doing other, you know, sort of cognitive exercises? And it always sounds kind of stupid, but then I went and I joined uh, the improv asylum in Boston. And I used that sort of as, as therapy to get over social anxiety and, Plus, I figured it would have cursory runoff runoff benefits for you know sales, just being able to think on your feet. But it was really, really beneficial, and it also got like those creative gears turning mm-hmm. again, which are super important, especially in freight, because we were not a very creative field until recently. Yes, and 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 speaking of which, you were sort of a, and I don't want to say sort of, you were definitely a pioneer in in that respect because I can remember being in logistics marketing and being like, gosh, this stuff is so boring. How can we make this more exciting? But it was almost a fear to create to bring in other aspects of things that I was actually really interested in and to bring them into the world of freight. So I always just kept it sort of a you know the separation of church and state. This is the business side of things that I operate in, and here's the entertainment side of things that I operate in. And it was your programming that really said to me, like, oh, I, I can embrace all aspects of my personality. We can bring more of this into the industry. So what was that first, I guess, conversation like? What Was it an initial conversation with yourself or maybe with uh, Aborn and Co. at the time of this is what I want to do? And, and how did that really click for you? You know, I had, so I'm a huge podcast fan. I've been listening to podcasts since 2008. And the original ones I would listen to were, Adam Carolla, Bill Simmons, and um, and Joe Rogan. And I always liked their sort of conversational style, but they were never really, you know, they would get into some news and stuff and people's stories and people's journeys, but they weren't afraid to joke or bring their own personal life and really put context to how they related to the information they were getting and their guests. So it was a model that I always thought I needed to adopt in podcasting, especially since it's such an intimate medium and such a passive medium, meaning that people put headphones on and then they go do something else. Hmm. They don't sit there captive like they do with the video version of a podcast, which to me, I do the video and, and the audio version, but to me, they're almost two different products and two different animals. And I sort of think of those audiences differently, even though they're being served the same thing. I mean, the content is the same, but the marketing is a little bit different. I think you've got a slightly different person who really enjoys the sit-down version versus the person who has like, like me who has ADD and typically never watches video versions of stuff because I'm, you know, I'm doing something else. 
True. And, and I think that that's, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to podcasting, because it is such a different experience. You can listen to it on the way to work. You can listen to it while you're cleaning the house. It doesn't, you don't necessarily have to sit there and devote your entire attention versus reading a book or, you know, reading a blog article or something like that. Podcasting is really that experience that's separate or and it, it complements your life instead of distracting you from your life. Well, like the shipping pod, when I launched that in January of 2017, that was my first podcast. That was sort of like the original thought, like the thesis was instead of having the conversations, you know, the prepared speeches you hear on stage, people talking at you, let's have the conversations that we are having at the bar or uh, out by the boots or just when we run into one another. And let's talk a little bit more about our careers and our journeys. And one of the reasons I recognize that is there like the content just did not exist. Everything was like, technical webinars, every single thing. So it was it was really easy to break in and bring a completely different point of view because nobody else was doing it at the time. And you you speak of, from the shipping pod, of course, you're speaking from an entertainment angle and trying to bring that entertainment voice, but you have served in previous roles all within logistics, you know, the, the shipper side, the carrier side, the marketing side. Are there any sort of preconceived notions that you had about any of those sides of the business that you try to bring into podcasting now? I try to, I mean, I try to use those as, as context and I always try to remember my first day at each one of those jobs and what I didn't know. And because my complaint with a lot of, of, of media, especially teaching media around, around freight was that it always seemed at like this intermediate level. So it, there was always this barrier for new people to even get there. And there's so many acronyms and so much jargon and then jargon in this business that if you're talking to someone who's into land freight, right, the, the, the way they think of a broker and a 3PL is completely different than how a global logistics provider thinks of what they are as a broker in 3PL. Whereas one cares so much more about inland transportation where the global guys are like, yeah, whatever, give the trucking to someone else. They care about like the boxes and the brokerage and the CHB and all that stuff that 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 entails. So I've always tried to bring those perspectives with me of, of thinking back to when I was in that role. Because one thing that's been important to me is that I don't want to talk to myself. I want to talk to the listener. And as a person who's often interviewing, especially how what the truck has sort of morphed into a sort of very interview heavy lifestyle news, um, you know, personal challenges, career journeys, all of those kind of things, it's forced me to, to, to be very mindful of the audience and think of the questions that they would be asking people. Cause you have to be when you're in that mode. Otherwise it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's self-care or <laughs> I didn't want to say the M word. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, when you, you took the role at freight waves, did you consider that as sort of a, this is my, my ticket to, to freedom, or did you consider it maybe a little bit of a risk diving into, to freight podcasts full time? What take me back to that decision of, of, of how you made the jump in order to join freight waves? So it was interesting. And I mean, don't tell the people at Aborn this, but it was a bit calculated. So I would write news. I would write before they hired me, I was running ghost blogs and helping them with podcasts. And then they hired me as director of marketing. And I got to do a ton with them. And I got to do 
um, a lot of stuff, but I only really like doing the podcasting and I like the event planning we were doing, but I was sick of making decks and I was sick of making infographics and all of that kind of stuff. And it, you know, the one thing it really taught me though, since I was the only person in their marketing department was really how to content flywheel because I didn't have that much bandwidth to do anything. So if I was going to write an article, okay, then that article should also inform my podcast. And then that podcast should inform something else. And, you know, it making all of those things sort of spin together. So you're not doing triple the work. And in doing all these sort of news write-ups for their newsletter, I just remember from, you know, 2016 onwards or 2017 onwards, freight waves coming up more and more on my searches when I would be like, I need, I need news. Okay. Freight news, supply chain news, tech news, and freight waves are just moving up and up and up. And I loved their style. And it was so much more in your face um, and it just looks so much cooler than what everyone else had been doing at the time that it was so obvious to me that I had to plug my microphone into that amplifier. Mm-hmm. So when I reached out to Craig Fuller, first of all, I wasn't even sure he would, he would say yes at all. It like now is much different, but when I was originally podcasting, when you're podcasting on the indie side, um, or even for a small company and a morning company was not really known yet outside of their little pocket. Most people are not going to risk coming on your show, especially since podcasts hadn't really broken in this business. They would be like, yeah, okay, or pass you off. But fortunately, Craig was like, hell yeah, c- come on. But the funny thing is, it almost didn't happen because I sent him this Zencaster link to do a recording with the with like VOIP. Day of the podcast, he calls me up at the time. And I'm like, I have all my stuff set up to do a recording this way, right? Through, through VOIP. And I didn't have anything set up to do a phone recording. So I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. I hang up and then something like this, this rush of energy went over me and this rush of like wisdom went over me. <laughs> and also this rush of panic that like you had this, this is a turning point in your life. You have to make this happen. So mm. I went on, um, I, I started Googling like how to record a uh, cell phone conversation. And, and I figured out and I set up like a Google voice line with a recorder. And then I had the cell phone here and I was talking to my microphone into my DAW. And then I dubbed in his entire track just to make it sound better over my own phone vocal. And and I got it done. And then a week later, he messaged me on on LinkedIn. And he was like, hey, I really like how that turned out. If you ever want a job in Chattanooga, we have one for you. And I said, well, I bet it wasn't you know negative five degrees when you were walking your dog this morning. Then he sent me a plane ticket to come down for an interview. And then, of course, the hard part is, though, like me, I knew I needed to be there. But my mm. wife is a triplet and she is from the New England area. Huh. And um and so I had to convince her and she's very close with her family. Sure. Uh, what, what is cool is at first she was like, you know, I don't know about this, but she also knew the amount of progress she saw when that first year of podcasting, when I was independent, making $12,000 a year to then getting a job with Aborn and then the growth. And then an obvious telltale was freight waves reaching out with this job. So I took her down to Chattanooga. She loved the area and, um, and we've loved it since so much. So we just bought a house down here that we're moving into at the end of the month. So no, there was no fear. The only fear was losing the opportunity. The, the, there was not a fear of anything else other than that, because I knew hundred percent if I could get there and I was already making this work um, and I was beating their podcast. That's right. Freight was, I was beating your <laughs> podcast with consulting logistics. What the truck I had to go there and take it over to make it even bigger. No, you guys, I mean, obviously that was the right decision to make looking back on it. And, and you guys were on sort of this rocket ship of growth and you're having these incredible, you know, live events. And that's how I got introduced to Freight Waves is, is I saw their marketing and their branding around. I said, this conference looks a little different because most 
logistics conferences are a dime a dozen. They're, they're all kind of the same until that first conference that I went to from Freightways. And I said, this company is just completely different. And so watching, you know, your growth as, as a content creator, and then watching the growth of Freightways, how did that evolve, especially over this last year? How did you guys take that, that rocket ship of growth? And then when everybody had to go work from home, did it, did it challenge you guys or did it sort of help you in the long run or, or where's maybe there was a little bit of panic that, you know, not being in an office full time around each other. You know, it's interesting. So I got in here and at the time they only had one podcast. They had what the truck and it was hosted by two different, two different guys at the time. And I came in and, um, immediately one of the guys, he already kind of wanted to leave the show anyway. So, um, I joined the show almost immediately and pretty quickly due to my, you know, the, the, previous two years I spent learning how to podcast, I ended up taking over the show and, and being the producer of the show and, you know, writing the show and just doing all the direction of it and all of that kind of thing. And once I got that down pat, I wanted to expand and build out more and really build out the Freightcast network. So I did the morning minute. I did, I started Freightwaves Insiders, which was doing one-on-one career journeys, um, which has also been nice because, you know, what the truck's like super, it's like speed dating. It's like rapid fire, 10 minute segments. But so many times I'll talk to a guest and I'll be like, man, I want to pull them aside and have, mm. you know, that 45 minute hour and a half conversation really open up into their career. I believe you've actually been on insiders back in the day. I, it's, it's honestly, it's my favorite programming that you've done. And it's one of my more favorite. And, and it's, I think you guys, I don't know if you still do that show anymore, that the, the Freight All Kinds show. Oh, um, I, I like that one. It was just, I, my plate got too full. Yeah. I, I mean, God, you're, you're producing what, like seven or eight shows every week. So we can, I, I think the audience can forgive you for, for not having the bandwidth for that. Well, because I also joined, like what happened is I was doing Freight All Kinds and I was doing Insiders and I was doing Want the Truck. And I wanted to expand What the Truck to an extra day a week. And then I also got the job of hosting Freightways Radio and Sirius XM on Saturdays. So it just became a bandwidth thing. But as I had to get rid of Freight All Kinds, um, one thing Craig was pushing for is he's like, I want more podcasts. And at the time, we had a different GM of content before Emily Zink. And that guy was a little resistant to building out podcasting. But then one day, Craig was like, just just go. Just turn the hose on. Just do it. Which is all you got to say to me. I don't need like <laughs> anything else. Just say, go do it. And I will be as resourceful as possible and make it happen. And I talked to some of the guys who I think would make good teams like um, like the great quarter guys, Kevin and Seth Holm, back when they started that show, Freightonomics with with uh, Zach Strickland and Anthony Smith and um, and Drilling Deep with John Kingston. He did an audio only version covering the oil industry. And, and now we've built it out to 14 different shows. And um, we've got our Freightcast feed, which is the combined feed where every single podcast gets uploaded to. And the reason for that is just podcast discovery kind of sucks. So if you come with like a master feed where maybe what the truck is, what gets you to, to go to that feed, then you subscribe. And then maybe you, 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 you fall in love with long haul crime log or great quarter guys or put that coffee down or, or whatever it may be. In terms of the pandemic, the pandemic was a bit of a boon for us because it, the way freight waves worked is our TV studio was shared with a sales floor. This is not ideal for production. So when they when the pandemic came, they sent everyone home. We had the run of the building ourselves. The TV team did, so they were able to build new sets. And we got out of that audio booth, and um, you know what the truck got that truck desk and everything. And we've just been able to build out and be more focused and more concentrated. And it also builds a little bit of a firewall between sort of those sonar customers and you know when you're talking about the media side and and all of those kind of things. And I think it's been, I think it's been great. The only bad part is it's hard to know people now, like people show up in Slack and you're like, who the hell is that person? <laughs> um, also, it's a little harder to sort of communicate. And in, during text, especially in like a news organization where things have to come rapid, 
you can always sound very short and sharp when it's all done through Slack, where I do miss those organic conversations that would just happen. Like put, put that coffee down as a perfect example. But that coffee down was just me walking by Kevin's desk one day and being like, hey, I think we, I think we should do a sales show. Literally. And then like two hours later, we, we put the logo together and we picked a song and then we started recording a couple of days later. And like, that is the awesome organic part. And I think when you have people in front of you and they can see your, your energy and your interest, it goes a little longer than sometimes I think when you get a Slack message, it can seem a little bit more like an order. And sure. I'm, I'm very rebellious and I don't like orders. It's tough to tell tone from, from somebody's text. So it's, it's a, always a little bit difficult in, in when you're communicating solely through text than versus, uh, you know, other medium. And I think that's a sort of a, you know, a blessing and a curse that Zoom has entered as an adjective into our lives. Um, so, so, but we have those, those technological, technological capabilities now that we can still kind of have that same vibe, but it's never going to be the same as as in person. Like I love doing in-person interviews just because I think you get so much more out of the conversation. Do you guys think that you'll you'll go back to the office full time? Uh, it, it's interesting how that'll work. I think it'll be more of a hybrid model. I mean, I know that there's an interest in bringing back, um, like we used to have these beer Friday things where, you know, people who drink, people who don't drink, we are, are cause our buildings, they can like a converted restaurant bar with, have you, have you been in Freightways building yet? No, I've only seen outside. I've only seen the pictures outside. Okay. Well come there on F3, November 8th to 10th. I'll, I'll give you a tour of the building, but it, it, it's a converted restaurant. So like the bottom floor area used to be uh, like some company called World of Beer. So we have all these taps oh, yeah. and everything. And it's where we would conduct our meetings and those kind of things. So I think we're trying to reopen that, especially mm -hmm. as in um, the Chattanooga area, uh, vaccines have really gotten to 1C right now. And they're really just starting to pump these things out. Like I went and I got my first shot already nice. and it was like a 15 minute wait. And it was so different than back in December to travel to Massachusetts, I had to go get a COVID test and I went, I made the mistake of going to one of those free testing sites here. And it was like three and a half, four hours. Whew. Like you, you get what you pay for. Right. <laughs> or you don't pay for, I guess, or the, what the government pays for. That's what you get. <laughs> I like F3. I like, I like that. The, I like that in, I think it's the right time. And I think people are so ready for it. I can't wait to just take a bite out of that energy at F3, November 8th to 10th in Chattanooga, because that it, people have so much pent up energy. And I think these virtual conferences have been great. They allow you to go more niche. But at the same time, I want to tear these virtual walls down and sit in front of people again. Like even like little things, people may not realize this, but in order for me to talk to you, I can't actually see you in your facial expressions right now. I'm looking at a Logitech camera. And if I look down, I look like this. Now I'm looking at you. That's a little behind the scenes production. So I actually same thing on my end. I, I have the the Zoom meeting kind of positioned to where I'm still looking at you and hopefully you know watching this later on it, it'll look like I'm looking into the camera. But there's just no there, there's no replacement for in person. This is a good sort of band aid on it right now. But I, I agree fully that that's probably F three is probably going to be my first conference that I go to in person because as soon as I saw that it was announced, I'm like oh done. Let, let's just go ahead and mark it off on the calendar. I mean, the other hard part too, I mean, the great thing about the in-person ones is you have more opportunity to rapport build beforehand and afterwards. We're like, this is a recording to be really anticlimactic. <laughs> you like, you finish up and you click X on a browser and it's like, all right, I guess I'll go make a grilled cheese now. Right. It's sort of like the, the awkward buy at the end is always uh, a, a little questionable. Like, like this. Like, 
like up your nose and stuff. And you say bye. And then you got to do yeah. the awkward like end meeting for all and hope that, you know, there isn't, you know, more sent- sentences being shared. Now you, you talk about working from home. You're about to move into a brand new studio space um, or a brand new studio space at your home, which yeah. is great. I highly recommend it. But on, on the flip side, how do you prepare? You, you said you have 14 shows every single week. How do you pre- prepare for, for any of those shows? What does a typical work week look like? for you? Yeah. So fortunately, the only ones I have to like produce out of that are the Morning Minute, Freight Waves Insiders, and What the Truck. So that's down to three right there. That's one, two, three, four, four episodes, nine episodes, nine things I have to record a week, um, four, eight, 12, th- about 13 guests I have to make sure are booked for these shows and that kind of stuff. So it's very important to have a process for this stuff. But like my day starts every morning. I, I read the news on FreightWaves.com and I pull the headlines and I record the morning minute and I upload that. But it it's kind of that own like mental content flywheel when now that I've read some of these news stories, I'm already thinking about what's going to be on what the truck or what's going to be on the newsletter, which I do mm-hmm. now on Tuesdays, or what's going to what's going to work for insiders and who would be a great guest for that. And then I go through the stories and if like there's a really good guest who is interviewed in one of those, I might reach out to the journalists and say, hey, can I have their contact information? So I always want there to be like a little bit of news immediacy, but a lot of times too, it's just trying to be your audience and understanding what they may be receptive to. And also just generally things I tend to be curious about and in what the truck is, it's so interview heavy and I don't have to sit up there and, and eat all the oxygen and tell people how everything works. I can rely on other people to do that. It's more important for me to be curious and understand what the audience wants out of that particular interview. And um, that's sort of been my uh, my impetus behind it. So a lot of times I don't really know that much about what I'm doing or who, or who I'm talking to until after that interview is even over. Like I do my research, I do my personalization, but really to get sort of deep on some of these topics, it's great to speak to these people because I'm curious about the information myself. And, and does that process change at all for a lot of the virtual events? It, it seems like you guys have, you know, a couple every month now. Does that process change at all? Yeah, it's really different because I don't book the guests for virtual events and I don't mm-hmm. produce the virtual events. So it's, it's a different role for me. Like I just show up and perform what the truck? I mean, I have to like fill it out with some stuff and those kind of things, but it's a different production style and way of doing it than how I typically do a, a regular what the truck. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But um, which one do I like better? I mean, I like I'm a control freak. I like doing my version of what the truck better than conference <laughs> version of what the truck. But I also feel very grateful that I get to do these conference version of what the truck and have the exposure and experience of hosting these events because it's really fun and it's it's nice to put yourself out in front of the community and it keeps you really engaged with all of the content. And that's been a nice thing about it because um, just the role that I have, it's been such an educational experience at Freightways because I'm constantly having to read everyone else's articles and review their work and watch their content. So I have a really good idea of what goes on around here and what the Freightways brand actually even means. Hmm. Now, you you mentioned earlier about the importance of finding inspiration from outside of the industry. Who do you get inspired from and who do you read regularly to get that inspiration? You know, it, it's, it's weird because my job is so, so like, I, there's really not that separation anymore in my life just because of like who I follow on social media. It's such a, like a mix mash of like Legos and entertainment and freight tech <laughs> and traditional tech and truck drivers and all of these different opinions. But the cool thing about it is the more diverse I've made that network, it's, it's really interesting to hear all these different opinions. Like if I didn't follow a bunch of drivers, I wouldn't 
be nearly as attuned to their political sensitivities or their fears of um, of automation in, in driving or their talk of protests or these kind of things. And I think it's great to be really receptive and empathetic to those kind of things and see how they and see where the, the delta is between how these people feel and how people on the freight tech side feel. And I, th- I think there's a pretty big one because as much as people say like they go out and they try to to learn the person they're engaging with, I think there's still a a big misunderstanding between like the white collar freight tech world, um, except for maybe some of the guys who've had a lot of background or, or girls who've grown up in the freight world, they have a little bit more understanding. But I think some of the newer interlopers don't always seem to understand how the driver thinks or how the broker thinks or how the shipper thinks. And they're all completely different point of views. Have you ever had any, I guess, big pushback from drivers on a, on a story that maybe you've covered or somebody else has covered? Yeah. I mean, look, if you say, I mean, drivers tend to lean conservative, right? Mm -hmm. And they tend to get upset if you uh, are promoting ideas that they think are overly um, liberal or socialist or or that kind of thing. But I don't let that sway me for what I want to cover. Now, obviously, I want to be pretty journalistic into that thing. But What the Truck is an opinion show. It's It's a news magazine show. And you have to bring you have to bring your opinion. You have to be pretty honest about that kind of stuff or people will will see through it. And I think I've managed to to do that. And I've managed to hold some of my more progressive opinions and not had to sacrifice those while also understanding and being empathetic to what another side thinks and what they want and why they have an opposition to this. And understanding both of those things is really important. And it's also important for myself as like, like, I think fatherhood's helped me there too, Mm -hmm. because I always have to like think in the perspective of like a four-year-old and a six-year-old and they're not rational, but a lot of opinions people have are not rational on either side either. You know, so learning how to deal with the irrational is a very helpful benefit. Yeah. I mean, coming from a, you know, sort of a, a blue collar town that, you know, in covering sports at a local sports station, we we have a lot of those differing opinions, mostly conservative opinions. And so you, you definitely have to walk that tightrope of, of of trying to express your opinions without insulting a, a large group of people. But sometimes it's necessary in order to to, to push the conversation forward. Now, yeah, you, you want to, uh, but, but Blake, I would say that when you do that, you have to understand what you wield. You can't do it with ignorance, if you have to do it with intent. And if you sure. want to get people riled up, like you, you have to be self-aware. You kind of have to look down at, I think on social media, a lot of times, like you have to be yourself, but you also have to be yourself from 30,000 feet and be like, okay, th- this makes sense in my brain, but what is this going to make sense when it hits my circle? And what's it gonna, and what is it gonna mean to people if it, if it does get enough likes or retweets and it gets outside my circle? And then how are people going to interpret that? And you've seen a lot of people in journalism and, and on social media get themselves in trouble for not having that awareness. You know, guys like Bean Dad come to mind. <laughs> and it's, it's something that with, with I, I remember my boss so, uh, years ago, he told me he was like, I'm responsible for how the story lands. He's like both the perception of what I was intending and how it ultimately lands. I'm re- still responsible for both of those messages and both of those perceptions. And so w- with with speaking in, in that regard, you've interviewed a ton of people. You think you just said 500 people on average every year. Do you have a favorite story or maybe a favorite person that that has ever come from one of those interviews? Maybe an unexpected interview. Uh, I mean, what? yes, one of the most unexpected ones that has turned into one of my favorite relationships that I've developed was with, um, wait, home before I jump into this, you know who usually yells at me? Not like truck drivers for personal opinions or, or, or anybody else. It's actually like older dudes in freight who are like, that. that's not, what does this have to do with freight? You know, what does this have to do with that? So sometimes they don't like my 
more brash. Oh, he's telling you to get back in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, tell him to have fun. Stick you know, to I sports. Don't I don't make a show for you. You're not my demographic, man. Right. Maybe you need to listen to something else, but at least they're listening, even if they're hate listening. Yeah, but for me, it was actually, it was the last live event we were at. It was Air Cargo Nashville. And one of the keynote speakers I noticed on the agenda was this guy named Mark Weiss from NASA. And he's their, he's, um, their uh, director of deep space logistics. And I'm like, wow, that sounds super cool. Um, I don't know exactly how that relates to freight. It sounds kind of sci-fi. It sounds kind of silly, like shooting cargo up to space and having it land in China or shooting from China and having it land in space in the US. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to talk to, to NASA people because I'm a nerd and I like space and I, I like sci-fi movies. So it was good to... Uh, so that was my because I got to talk to him. And then I realized when I, in talking to him, how much the runoff of technology that NASA creates, things like GPS, things like, you know, non-stick materials, so much of the materials that are even on trucks right now have come from the R&D, the, uh, the R&D of the space, the R&D mm. of what NASA is doing. And it's really cool. And it's really exciting how much that space is heating up because of the part the, the partnership that they're doing with SpaceX and those kind of things. So Talking to Mark Weiss was great because then I got introduced to Tammy over at NASA who sets up all these different interviews. And now once a month, we have a NASA segment on freight waves, which is great. I got to talk to him the day after the Perseverance rover landed uh. on Mars. And these are like, I get to people, I get to talk to people who are like super wicked smart and it's awesome. And I love one thing I love about NASA people is like how non-cynical they are. Because in order, I think in order to be a NASA, you have to be a dreamer because you're mm. constantly doing things that you don't know if they'll work and they would seem impossible unless you tried them. And it's like, well, let's work the problem and do the math and see how far we can get there. It, it, it That's been my favorite. I talked to Mark to this day and I talked to him on a personal level and on a uh, show host level. So to me, that's been one of the most uh, rewarding ones. And I remember after Perseverance landed and you had him on your show, you, you got you were able to bring your kids on for oh, yeah. to, to in order for them to talk to him and, and just, you know, maybe sort of experience that. How did they react to that moment? Or, or maybe are they not old enough to sort of appreciate it just yet? But I'm sure when they get older, they absolutely will. Oh, so my six-year-old, he, he's in virtual learning right now because of the... Um, of the COVID thing, but he like immediately told his virtual class the next day that he was on TV. Like he was so <laughs> excited. I told him not to get a big, big ego, you know, but he was, he was really, yourself. <laughs> yeah. He was really excited about it. He thought it was like cool coming on camera. And it was just, it was, it was a nice moment because I, you know, one of the things I've learned about NASA too, is that they are very big on promoting to children. They understand that it takes that it takes that lack of cynicism to really put belief in the stars and belief in, in a world unknown that is bigger than what we do know. And I love that inspiration because um, I, I love sort of that inner youth thing too. And it's something I always try to hold on to and cling to. And I had this professor that told me that you don't start getting old until you stop learning. Hmm. So like the Dorian Gray in me is like, you have to keep learning. No, no, I I'm right there with you. I, I'm a big space nerd. My mom has, you know, she, she's had a telescope ever since we were kids. And so she would train us on, on what constellations to look for. And, you know, watching all of the back when, you know, the, the discovery channel showed actual, you know, like science and nature based shows, uh, that was our bread and butter. And that's what we, we watched on as a kid. And then we got slowly introduced, you know, the all star Wars movies and, um, you know, sort of the sci-fi genre. So I completely feel you in 
that regard actually was uh, last summer, went down and watched my first ever NASA launch and it was for perseverance. And it was just such a great, you know, sort of comeback moment whenever it, the, it lands on Mars and it's the middle of COVID and everybody is just, you know, struggling mentally and you see what, you know, a, a you know, hard work and years have done and, and leads to a project like that. So it, it, that was one of my favorite interviews I think I've, I've ever seen you do. And that was just a, you know, sort of like a selfish reason. Uh, definitely wanted to get that question in there about, because I would imagine that maybe he was someone that you were nervous to interview, or maybe somebody else was, was you, you maybe had a little bit of nerves to interview, or, or maybe I'm wrong in both of those things. And you have, you know, no nerves at all when it comes to interviewing. Yeah, no, I'm like a serial killer. I don't really have nerves when it <laughs> anymore. I used to. No, I, for like my first two years, I did. It's just that I do this. Like the best thing for me uh, about leaving Aborn to go do this full time and be this th- defining my career is just my own development and growth has really benefited from that because now I'm just constantly doing this. I constantly have to be in a mode where I'm either interviewing people or I'm inter or being interviewed or I'm trying to condense information in a very rapid amount of time that I just read. So it's all kind of just, it's, it's process now. So I, the only things I worry about are like some technical mess ups. I don't, I'm never really that concerned about, um, the guests are being that nervous. Maybe if I get Elon on there. Yes. That's I I have personally been pitching for that because that is going to be an an unreal moment. I've watched him on Rogan a couple of times, um, a couple other different podcasts, and he just seems such like a weird, borderline evil genius and you just want to learn as as much as possible but for somebody to pull you know several industries into the modern day world and just continue to push them forward it's something i think a lot of people can appreciate and and sort of switching gears a little bit you've mentioned that you've had like a few different co-hosts of you know different shows that you've worked on from the co-hosting perspective how do you sort of work on that chemistry of of a developing a good relationship that ultimately develops into a really great show. You know, it's interesting because I had a different co. I mean, when I started the shipping pod, I had a co-host, and that guy was he was doing an MBA, and he um he left me after like nine or ten episodes. So you know, sorry, <laughs> I miss you, Ryan. You're a good guy. We kind of just like he just took off, but I'm glad he encouraged me to get it off the ground and all of that kind of all that kind of stuff. And then like for for a while, when I was looking for a job, I would go on these these interviews. And like all these different companies would be like, well, maybe we'll hire you for sales, but you got to stop doing the podcast. You can't do an independent podcast. Mm. And I decided, no, I think that there's a real opportunity for podcasting. So I started a secret podcast called Snackmasters Inc. with um, a guy I knew on Twitter. I never met him. I never even talked to him in real life, but I'm like, let's just do something like I want to. I want to practice some production techniques. So would you mind reviewing some snack foods with me? We'll do a show called Snack Masters Inc. And it'll just be, you know, to take the piss and all that kind of. So we did that for a while until I got to Aborn. And then Aborn, I didn't have a host. And I get to Freight Waves. And um, it was interesting because when when Chad Prevost left, and it was it was very abrupt. And to be honest, like that, the, the abruptness, because I thought we were a little closer, that didn't sit well with me. He kind of told me the day that he's like, I put in my notice, but he was also... It was framed like he wanted to leave that day and miss the show. And I was I was kind of offended by that. I'm like, man, this thing to me is really important. What the truck is like my baby now. I put a lot of love and I put a lot of thought into it. So when he left, I'm like, fine. I mean, that's I guess it's good. If someone doesn't want to be there, you don't want them to, to be on it. So I had to audition some new people. And Michael Vincent, I knew. And I didn't necessarily get along with him at first until we had a Christmas party. And we argued which movie was better, Frozen or Frozen 2. 
And because we were arguing about that, I'm like, if he can argue about this and talk about freight, that's what the truck. <laughs> that what the truck is is arguing about Disney movies and talking about freight. So he can be on this show. So he auditioned once, and I was like, this guy's great, and he also knows how to use sonar better than me, and can help bring in that data context where it would really complement what I do. So that chemistry just developed sort of naturally. And then with Kevin Hill, it was also just I I, I picked my host there, and he picked me because. We had that conversation. We knew our sales background and we just didn't think the sales market was being addressed that well from a freight perspective. And we thought we could maybe pour something in that class. Do, do you approach a show any differently because you have a co-host versus say like Freight Waves Insider? Yeah, I mean, Insiders and and radio, I, I didn't have a co-host on or I didn't have a co-host on radio after John Kingston left. So the question's different because I know that I control every question and I, I control the entire roadmap first where like what the truck or put that coffee down. You've got a co-host, you're, you're, you're sharing the mic and um, it isn't completely about what you exactly want to talk about. Uh, it's also about what your co-host wants to talk about and what they think the audience wants to learn about as well. So you have to, you know, you have to meet in the middle on where those really make sense. I've never had a problem with either co-host that I've worked with though of, of like that, just not working. Those like tectonic plates causing, causing earthquakes. And I think that if I did, I would probably move on from that because <laughs> I don't, you know, I like low friction things and, and these things work at a very rapid pace at freight waves and I ain't got no time for the drama, you know? <laughs> so uh, the approach is just different. And it also, because it's a longer form interview on insiders and also on radio, I do a little bit more research on the guests. I'm doing more listening to what they did beforehand. So I can have a really good understanding of where to lead them during that conversation, because I know that they're going to kill the answers because it's right in their wheelhouse. And I've heard mm -hmm. them talk about it before. And I know that they're passionate. I know that they care about it. And that's always like where I kind of want the sweet spot of my interviews to be, to get to get it into people's, not necessarily their comfort zones, but just areas that they're like, they can speak to. Now, I, I've heard you mention the, the power of Twitter when it comes to booking guests and getting interviews. It, it, and, and we've kind of gone back and forth about the power yeah. of Twitter and why logistics companies aren't on that platform more often. Why don't you think that they take advantage of this? Because I think, you know, folks like us in, in, in media who have been around for a while, we know the power of Twitter. But for a lot of logistics companies, especially ones that I work with, they want nothing to do with it. Why do you think that they should want something to do with it? Because when I interview them and post their article and, and promote it to the audience, <laughs> I want to tag them and their company. Right. And when they're not there, I can't. And they're missing out on an opportunity to, to get some recognition. And I know that people like, people look at numbers too much on social media and they don't realize that 90% of the people on social media are completely silent. They're ghosts. So they see they get like one like and then they, they get discouraged. And it's like that one like, can represent several hundred people. And in a very niche market like freight, that's a lot of people who are very intentional and deliberate about the information they're receiving. You don't find a lot of people just like randomly wandering around Twitter. It's like, great, I want to happen upon trucking news or a <laughs> trucking story that just, that does not happen. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head because for a lot of companies, they, especially ones that I've worked with, they, 
start up a Twitter account and they're so excited, but it, it, that's not the only account that they're starting up. They're starting up all the social media accounts and then they get incredibly frustrated when they don't see any kind of growth or, or any kind of traction from those. And I'm like, well, you're spreading yourself too thin. You really need to dive into one or two social platforms at most and then build those platforms up before you start expanding yourself and spreading yourself too thin. And I think that you've done a great job, especially with LinkedIn and Twitter. What are, would you say that those are your platforms of, of preference or do you have any other sort of sleeper profiles on, on other platforms that you think are going to take off soon? <laughs> like a hidden account on like Tinder or something? No, sure. I, don't. I, I was just talking to Chris Atkinson. I was at, he has like this AI freight matching thing on insiders. And I was like, well, what is it more like? Is it like, you know, Tinder, Bumble or farmers only? He did say it was like Bumble because the drivers make the first move. Oh, that's good. <laughs> It was hilarious. I'm like, that should be your slogan, man. <laughs> the drivers make the first move. I like that. Very clever. Well, but you, you know, you bring up a good point. And it's also something like I've been studying the morning brew a lot, especially for the past year. I think they've done such a phenomenal job of creating community and really understanding, especially Twitter is really where they're really, really good. And, and, and guys like Toby Howell over mm-hmm. there, um, listen to him. And what he, one thing he always preaches is something I, I, I agree with him on. I think a lot of marketing directors and marketing people are super effing lazy, especially in our space. So they get a HubSpot <laughs> account and then they write one message in there and then they send it out with the link and it formats all incorrectly all across the, the Facebook sphere, the LinkedIn sphere, the Instagram sphere. And people on each one of these platforms, they can tell and they don't feel respected and it's not optimized to the platform. So that's why like when I, I never use that, I never use the button share to multiple platforms because Mm -hmm. I know that for LinkedIn, even if it's the same exact content, the content has to be sort of framed a little bit differently and you get a longer form to do it on LinkedIn. You're speaking to a slightly different audience where on Twitter, you have a more casual audience, a more meme friendly audience, (laughs) one that is more receptive to jokes and humor. So you lean into that a little bit harder than maybe you would on LinkedIn, where I think you can do some humor, but I think LinkedIn people, they also are there because they want some business info and they want some of that technical stuff where that might bore the S out of people on Twitter. So you you, you got to manage those. And if you put everything in a HubSpot and expect that to send it out and that to work, it doesn't. Mm-mm. It doesn't. You, you, you're exactly right because I started up a news account just for my company and then just for people who just want to follow the news that I share. And then I have my personal account and the news account doesn't get any kind of traction, maybe a few hundred followers, but it's always the personal account where the jokes come from, the slightly snarky tweets. That's where the real magic happens on Twitter. And then I kind of use, you know, LinkedIn is more of the professional buttoned up version of myself. And I think one time I posted like a uh, a post with a meme in it and it got no love whatsoever. And I'm like, well, this isn't the place for LinkedIn. Well, I mean, the thing I love about Twitter too, is that, you know, I have ADD, there's thoughts constantly running through my head and on LinkedIn, the, the velocity of conversation is just so much slower. Now, sometimes that's an advantage because things can be stickier if they get enough likes or enough, uh, enough engagement, they can last and, and annoyingly sticky sometimes. Like yeah. I, how, I can't imagine how many times I go in my feed and there's an event that someone posted about a week ago. It's already happened and it's still in my feed. It, it drives me bonkers where Twitter is like so rapid paced and so quick that you don't have to really worry that much about how something experimental performs because if it doesn't, who cares? Nobody saw it. And then if it does well, then you can take that idea and you can refine it and you can think of other ways you can use it. Oh, maybe this will, like if these people like it, maybe these people on LinkedIn will like it. So how can I adapt it to that medium? 
And like the I, next thing I maybe want to do is like what the LinkedIn, like what Morning Brew does really well is they sometimes they take their newsletter and they threadify mm. one of the segments from it as a real promotional tool. And that's something I've really been a student of as I've launched the What the Truck newsletter, just to keep refining that and getting better and trying to deliver people information in better ways. Well, speaking of the newsletter, what made you want to, was it studying Morning Brew that made you want to, to start up your own trucking newsletter? Well, one of the reasons I did was uh, there's only so much real estate and FreightWaves has a main newsletter and that's basically dedicated towards editorials. So getting real estate within that newsletter was really not in the cards for, for podcasts or TV. So the initial suggestion was like, let's start a TV pot, like a, a TV newsletter and let's start a, a podcast one. And that seemed a little bit too broad as a jumping off point, but I just volunteered. You know, Craig was like, we want some newsletters. And I'm like, great, I've been thinking about a newsletter. I hadn't really been thinking that much. Like the idea, like I had just been like, I should make a newsletter, but I didn't like know the format or anything. <laughs> but he said like, go do it. And every time at Freightways, if I want to do something and someone's been like, here's this opportunity. I will jump in it immediately. And like, that was, that was the opportunity for what the truck. And I was like, look, if I can build this sticky audience, it helps build up, it helps build up this brand. I can also cross promote Freightways Insiders and Freightcast, which I'm trying to build. And I can give all my babies some love. Absolutely. And I think that that's such a good, you, you, you've spoken about the flywheel a few different times, and that's just a, another distribution model. But I, I think a lot of companies, especially with email newsletters, they get it so wrong. Like I just got a, an email newsletter this morning that still has a sidebar in it. And it's like, this is, we are in 2021 people. What what advice, I guess, would you give to other companies that that want to do these different ideas, start a podcast, start an email newsletter that people actually want to read? And, and, and maybe they're facing a little bit of hurdles at that company, what advice would you give to them to get, get started? Well, I mean, what, so that morning brew and studying the morning brew, I just love the way that, you know, get smarter in five minutes and breaking things down into very like newsletterable, super easy to read, super scrollable style. You break it up with a little bit of images. You give people enough information that it can be the product. So many newsletters, like the old version of a newsletter was like, everything is a link farm. And to me, that doesn't even make sense because if you send someone a newsletter and like they like the second story, they click on the link, they're gone from your newsletter. They're mm -hmm. never going to open that thing back up and see the rest of the content where I think and I'm more in line with how the morning brew thinks of it as the newsletter itself is a product and it's a, it's an information aggregator and it spreads awareness to the brand where I don't care. I care if you open the newsletter. I don't care if you click on any links. Mm -hmm. I care that you know that what the truck exists and you know what time it exists. And you know how to find it on podcast players. And I hope that you read the stories that bring value. And that's why I put the stories in there to give people some value. So it's not just promoting the same exact shows again to people. Um, and I think that's what you have to, I mean, it all goes back to respecting audiences, understanding the platform. And I think podcasting, same thing, different medium, but the same idea where you have to figure out who you're speaking to. Like when you talk to clothing brands, like I worked for, for Talbot's for a while in their supply chain. And they were like, who's your, I forget, like, who's your girl? Who's that? Who's the girl that's buying your clothes? Who's the girl that who, that's dressing? And I think that a lot of people have to keep that in mind in freight. And I think that we're evolving slowly in this business, but you, you have to be mindful of who you're speaking to, right? And giving that audience what they need and what they want. Do you have any companies outside of freight waves that you in the freight space that you find that you see and you're like, they're doing things right? <sighs> yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> the long pause. There's more, <laughs> I mean, there's more that do things, do things wrong. I mean, there's one, there's one legacy company with a paywall 
that like half the time they just like subtweet us and it's like, get over us already. You know, we're, we're bigger than you. I won't even name them, even though they're punched down. They're trying to punch up. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. Like before it was fun to fight them, but then we got a lot bigger than them. And now it's like, well, we need a bigger bully. So stop. Chase. We're going to go beat up a bigger kid on the block. You know, maybe we'll go after Axios or something. I don't know. But we need to fight someone bigger because you want to fight someone bigger because you don't get better by beating up somebody that you've already beat in a fight and you've beaten the rematch and you've beat in the third match, you know, <laughs> or best five out of, you know, it's just, you got to keep moving. You got to keep moving forward. And for me, I feel deeply that freight can be a lot more mainstream and freight media can be a lot more mainstream. And you're seeing companies recognize that. And during the pandemic, people are seeing the impacts of supply chain shortages. So that's why I think I've always brought in sort of pop culture examples or example, like real life examples that people can understand and relate to, and then tether those into freight, because I think that produces the, the largest gateway for me. And I also think there's plenty of space like for niche stuff in freight too, that really technical niche stuff for people looking for it. But that's not what I want to create. I don't have any interest in creating that. Other shows on the Freightcast Network do, and they do that well. But I want to, I just want a broad audience. That- and- well, well, speaking of the the broad audience that you're building, I mean, obviously you you have a ton of shows that you're either producing yourself or a part of as far as as far as like the Freight Waves Network is concerned. How and I've heard you speak about creative endurance. How do you avoid burnout that eventually happens to to all creators? Have you experienced it, and how did how do you sort of move past it? Well, this kind of ties into the last question. So, what I like a lot is not necessarily what some of the freight media companies are doing. Although, I mean, I love Supply Chain Dive. I love CDL Life. CDL Life really covers sort of the, like the weirder types of stories in freight that I tend to like to gravitate towards on Freight Waves. So I'm an avid reader of CDL Life. I mean, um, but what I've liked is during this pandemic, so many new podcasts have have grown, right? And I feel like, awesome, all this job sort of seeding the earth is, is starting to, to sprout rewards. And I, I was on a show and someone said, well, you get threatened by all these new people putting on shows, right? And I don't at all because I don't think we're anywhere near critical mass in terms of freight podcasting. And to me, it, look, if I'm the one or my shows get you to find your Apple podcast app and learn how to click subscribe button or the follow button and learn how podcasts work, awesome. If it's someone else's show, awesome too. If it's Ryan Schreiber's show, uh, Inside the Founder Studio, which uh, also happens to be the byline of Freightwaves Insiders, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) If it happens to to be that that turns people on to podcasting and the idea of freight podcasting, or it happens to be what you're putting out or what anyone else is putting out, I think that is freaking awesome. And I love to see the creativity that all these new creators are bringing there because I completely empathize with it. And uh, and I was there. And I think it's awesome that like we now have a scene. That's great. And it's it's sort of that goes back to that saying, you know, all a rising tide lifts all sails. And I I think that that is is absolutely the truth in this case as far as content is concerned because it's only getting better, and that challenges everybody else to just make better stuff and create better things. And so so far along your career, especially as it's as it's blown up, have you had one of those pinch yourself moments yet? Yeah, I mean, lately our down. So I mean. Well, I forgot to answer the endurance thing. The endurance thing is um, <laughs> being passionate. So that that's sort of what keeps me in the game on that. One, I, I mean, I've, I'm given a lot of uh, green fields here at Freight Waves. I'm allowed to go and do my own things. I'm not given a, a ton of direction. And that that's a great thing about Freight Waves. If you don't like being given direction, you'll be given, you know, it'd be a good idea if you go do that. Now figure it out, which to me is perfect and ideal. I don't need a bunch of people dictating to me. I prefer to see how I can build it out myself and then get support that way. So that... I would have a lot less endurance. I think if it was overbearing, like if I had an overbearing boss or Craig Fuller was like browbeating me all the time. And this has to be this, this, and this, and that would be creatively wearing. 
Fortunately, that does not happen, right? So I have no, I have no yearning to need more freedom or those kind of things. And that is really what drives me too. The creative freedom is is a big, big push. So it's easy for me to keep pushing forward. And also, Blight, I like every day I'm like, I have an awesome opportunity here. I have an awesome opportunity. I have this job that when I got out of rehab, I had to like create out of out of like nothing, out of the ether. And now it's 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 a very well-paying job in an industry. And it's great. And you know, the pinch yourself moment is just lately how uh, some of our stats have taken off, especially on the audio side. I'm watching the growth of Freightcast, and it's like, you know, I remember back in the day going on the indie side, you know, I'd be happy with like 200 downloads. And now, you know, we are on track for for well over uh, a, a few billion this year. And it's good. It's exciting and it's great and it's awesome. And it's so cool that it's not also just me. It's shared within like our Freycast ecosystem. But also, I think it's shared with the whole community, because just like I said, whether you're the one seeing the earth and turning people onto podcasting or we're the ones turning people onto podcasting, now they know how to find podcasts. Now they know how to be receptive about them. And so, I mean, you're lucky that you have sort of the creative freedom in order to go after whatever story or, or, or idea that, that comes to mind. But you've also been in positions where that creativity wasn't given to you and it was you were actually prevented from exploring those different ideas. What would you say to an employee at a company who was in a similar position as you that wants to start that creative freedom and, and maybe start a podcast or, or a video series within their company and they're facing some hurdles? How could you sell that to them. Yeah, was, so consulting logistics is probably like the easiest way for me to relate to that because I had to do content marketing. The podcast was content marketing for the Aborn and Co brand. Now, I could do some things within those confines, but I couldn't I couldn't spread my wings as far as I really wanted them because that's not my job. My job is to bring interest to Aborn and Company and spread mm-hmm. their message and and only have really conversations that relate to things that we do within the supply chain. That's that's fine. But even like sort of near the end of my run there, I was realizing that there I was getting near the end of that runway. So that was sort of for the strategy that interviewing Craig Fuller came in because I'm like, all right, I, you know, Jaws is coming. I'm going to need a bigger boat. And for me, Jaws <laughs> is just like losing freedom, right? That's the thing that's going to eat me up. Mm. Um, I think for people who are in there, I I would say, first of all, if someone's willing to pay you, to get your chops going. Don't, um, I know the, the creator economy keeps getting better and better, but I've been there on the indie side. It's a lot of work. And I think what a lot of people don't know before they get into podcasting is that the easiest part of this is this, right? us doing the show and recording. The hardest part of this is promoting this and doing the marketing. So once you start doing a podcast, one thing you're immediately going to get a crash course in is how to market and how to social media market. Because if you don't, your podcast will not get listened to. It just will not happen. And I always think the hosts are probably the best people to promote their show and create those communities and talk to their community and build it out that way. Because then people have like that person to relate to. And then you know how it is. Like if you like a show as I do, and I like the shows I like, if the person who makes it like likes my tweet or, or you know, you get a little giddy, you know, you get a little, ooh, little butterflies, you get a rush right. dopamine. <laughs> and, you, and you have to engage their community. You have to realize that you also have a platform and you can give people a little bit of that and you can give people a little bit of that sensation and give it back to them as well. And I think that's sort of like, and maybe some of that is like, especially for newer creators, they, you got to get over that imposter syndrome. Like, well, they're like a, a gigantic account. You, you can't give that same way, but in order to build a community, you got to start from somewhere. And the way to keep that community is to make them feel good, right? To make that when they tune into your thing, they're like, yeah, I either feel smarter or I feel better. Or I feel happier or 
if they like true crime, more afraid of life, I, I whatever it is, you're giving them something. And you have to realize that. Now, you're obviously elbows deep in logistics and freight news and just news overall and in, in, in pop culture and entertainment and all that good stuff. But how do you see sort of the media landscape and your shows evolving in the future? It's interesting. You know, I keep eyes on things like Clubhouse and whatever new social media comes um, up down the pike. But for me, I, it's sort of like, I think podcasting is always going to be around. I think it's tech proof because there's just something great about walking around with someone in your ears, like keeping the demons from speaking to you or whatever it may be, or you're just sick of music or you just want to learn something, or you do what happens to a lot of us is we start listening to a show and then we create a, like a fake relationship with, with like those hosts, like they're your friends that you never actually get to speak to, but you're always there listening to their conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the great thing about podcasting and why it's a great foundation to build off of. And I think, you know, with TV, it's a little different because in TV production values change, production standards change, um, the look of things change. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not the TV guy, so I'm not as, as experienced as that, but I think like anything, you just got to keep mindful of what's out there. Like I've been trying to do the clubhouse thing. It seems like a natural marriage between podcasting because you're talking, but I found out very quickly it's not at all because mm -hmm. in podcasting, the, everything that happens in a podcast, or, or at least the more modern podcasts are pretty deliberate. They're not like that 2008 version where it's just like two guys in a basement. I mean, those ones still exist, but they don't tend to get very big anymore where it's just two people bull, like bullshitting about nothing. Right. You have to be sort of deliberate. And then Clubhouse is sort of that non-deliberate and it's just random people speaking. And it's to me, it's just sort of like cacophony and noise. So I'm not long on like spaces or or Clubhouse at all. I think I'm just gonna that was going to be my next question is why why Clubhouse and not Twitter spaces? Well, I think Twitter's, I would rather use Twitter spaces than Me Clubhouse. Me too, same. And I don't like jumping off Clubhouse. I don't like that I have to give people my phone number to give them an invite. I don't like that they have to give me mine if they don't want to. My phone number is pretty sacred to me because I don't want people, you know, spamming me and getting out there and all of that kind of stuff. So I would prefer not to have it set up that way. I know privacy concerns. What are they going to do? If they get hacked or they sell that stuff, I'm sure it'll happen, um, even though I'm on there. Well, it's, it's funny how we like know all this stuff too. Like we know Google is, we know our Alexa is recording us. We know Google's tracking every every move we make. We know our iPhone's listening to us. We're like, yeah, but it's convenient. But we got to just draw the line somewhere. <laughs> it's like Google Maps will track your every move and, yeah. and suggest how long it's going to take you to drive to work as soon as you get into the car, that creepy notification. Um, but any anything outside of that, I mean, you mentioned with a lot of social media platforms, especially some of the newer ones that have come out, is is there any platform that you've seen that you're like, I have no interest in, in jumping on that bandwagon? I, I kind of think it's Clubhouse after I've done yeah. <laughs> it a couple of times. I just haven't like... I haven't found the the experience very fulfilling. And I've been in the listener experience and I've also been in a guest experience. And it, it to me, it's just sort of more like a, a hangout group. And I think I would just rather, it's like a chat room or something. And I haven't done like AOL chat rooms in a long, long time. So that's, I, that's not what I like. I don't, I don't know. So I just don't like the. I, I don't like that you can't listen on demand. I have to stop what I'm doing to engage with your content. Yeah, and I think that's something that some of the newer creators kind of forget too. Is like the real power is in the on-demand content. I know a lot of them like they really want to promote the LinkedIn live streaming or that kind of thing. Um, I don't like that because I mean I like that it's there and I like you can engage the community. But I'm glad that that's not our rock and we have an OTT platform and um, we have a very strong podcast strategy because. I mean, 
we're in like a modern age where you don't have to make an appointment to, to listen right. to something and watch something. And I don't like making appointments to watch something. So to me, I would always like defer to the, the podcast or the on-demand version, usually because I forget when things come on. Like, I'll, I'll like, oh, Midday Market Update's on, it's 1223. And I show up right in the middle where I, where I can control my experience. And in Clubhouse, it's even bigger because the rooms don't like necessarily start right on time. And it's almost like that live stream thing where sometimes it takes like five minutes for the stream to show up. So the people have been speaking and you show up without the context of the introduction and how they've made the bed. And then you have a random person jump in with some completely different point that derails the point of the room. And you have to listen to them eat all the oxygen and chew the scenery. <laughs> it's just, it's just an, I, I don't like it. I, you know, I like just having the direction of being in this podcast, uh, model. Maybe I've been just like QBing too long up here. No, I I, I completely agree because Clubhouse, it sounds, I, I love new competition into the social media space. I love that they're sort of making these other platforms redevelop new new features within their own system because they see another platform as a threat. And anytime you can sort of upset some reporters that maybe get banned from Clubhouse, uh, I think that's always a little bit fun and interesting too. So we've covered a ton in this interview and we, we, we've talked about different aspects of life and how, you know, you've really been, your curiosity seems to drive you in, in various ways of life. And it, it, it eludes just through your work. Is there anything left that you don't know that you want to know? Yeah, everything. I mean, the more <laughs> I learn about something, the less I feel I know about it, to be honest with you, because like I, a lot of times, you know, you, you, it's almost like that headline theory. You read a headline, you immediately have a, a reaction, right? And it's, it's a very polar reaction. Then you read the story and you get the context to it. And then you're like, oh, oh, I mean, as long as it's not like some, some site that's, you know, obviously trying to manipulate you into an opinion. But if you actually like read the actual like sort of news unbiased version of it, and you're like, okay, I can see this side. I can see this side. And I try to like stay a little bit journalistic with my things and, and get information. And like, even today I was talking to Chris from Fleet Ops about AI and I learned a little bit about AI, but enough to want to know more about AI, you know, and there's, and that's the great thing about hearing from diverse voices and all these different perspectives. And you asked about like trends in media. I think one thing you'll see in supply chain is some of the leaders in supply chain who have been like really good guests on what the truck or your show. I'm like, they should buy a camera and put a mic in front of them and kind of do what I was doing at Aborn and Company or what you're encouraging companies to do and own a little bit of their own media instead of trying to earn it each time. And I, I, I don't see why you wouldn't do that other than just, I mean, let's face it. Most people going to school for marketing are not going to school for marketing to do it in logistics. So you don't really get the degree people. So you got to find sort of these, like the hybrid people, right? And Social media is probably a good way to recruit them because social Absolutely. media you see people actually kick ass. Like, I don't, I don't care what degree you have. I work with people with marketing degrees. It, it, it's, they have never, a lot of them actually have been terrible because they're like too locked into like whatever book their professor taught them that was printed four years ago and isn't really even relevant now. The processes. I think that they're they're taught the processes, but not exactly how to execute on the creative part of the businesses, which is what you need in order to solve different problems across different spheres. Because that that's the the name of the game in marketing is your job is to listen, and then your job is to solve problems. And and you have done a great job with that in all aspects of your show and and recording and distribution and all that good stuff. Where can people find more of your work? 
Yeah, I, if you want to uh, just hear my free thoughts all the time, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D double O N E R. Um, my main shows are What the Truck. You can look that up on podcast players everywhere. Uh, it's also on our Freight Waves TV app where you can watch it. It's live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, noon Eastern time. Freightways LinkedIn, Freightways Facebook. I just relaunched Freightways Insiders, um, show I started in 2009, talking to business leaders and career journey. Um, and I've restarted that one. I started doing that a couple of weeks ago. Recently had a great episode with Andrew Silver from Molo, talking about like that mental health and that kind of thing. That was a great episode. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of what I want to do with the platform too. Like just I, th- this year, I just want to be more cognizant of my platform and more sharing of it too, to, you know, more women, more people of color, more people with stories and more people whose voices can't be heard. I've got a microphone. If I can amplify people who can't be amplified, I want to fight for some of those underdogs as well. And that that's sort of my goal. If you want to hear from those people, you also look up FreightWaves Insiders on your favorite podcast player. Or if you want to experience all of these 14 shows, you're not sure what you want, you want the buffet, look up FreightCast on your favorite podcast player of choice. Every single FreightWaves podcast, all on one feed. Appreciate it. What a, what a sales pitch. I'm sure if this interview hasn't gotten you to listen to, to Dooner's content, it, I mean, I, I, I imagine that you've already been familiar with them if you've experienced uh, this show. So go and listen, go and download. It's the best time investment that you can make, especially in the world of logistics, where a lot of this content is frankly pretty boring. Hey, tell right, me well, something. <laughs> tell me something before you go. Because I got as a the Jaguars fan. Now, who do you think is more <laughs> tortured? You or Bear or Bears fans? Because Bears fans are like irate that they signed Andy Dalton and the Bears tend to have a knack for signing like washed up quarterbacks that at one point had a name a long time ago. But if you draft them in fantasy, they absolutely suck. And Andy Dalton, is kind of, no offense to Andy, he's probably a nice guy, but uh, he's not a, he's not like, he's not a quarterback that really moves the needle. Well, as a Jaguars fan, I can't really speak to the expertise of the quarterback position, um, <laughs> mostly because I don't know what a good quarterback kind of looks like unless he's playing on the opposite side of or the opposite team. Uh, but luckily for for Jaguar fans, um, we're we're the only way to go is up, and we're, we got the number one pick coming up in in a couple months, in or maybe yeah, less than two months away um, for the draft. So it, it feels good. From my perspective, because a year ago I hated this team, and this I I grew up a Jaguars fan. I'm I'm part of you know what they call the Generation Jaguar, and um, when they decided to take another game and move it to London, I thought that the team was a uh, you know had had one foot out the door in order to to move the franchise, and that to me was just such a big slap in the face that I was I was done with them. I hated them at the time, and to come sort of full circle this year and to have all of our games back, hopefully for permanently and to have the number one overall pick urban Meyer comes to town, even though he has some questionable characteristic um, issues in the past, but he is a winner. Um, and if he can get me one super bowl, I think, uh, I think all is forgiven and it feels good to sort of have that, that hope back in, in more ways than one, because I mean, even a year ago, everybody was dealing with, you know, COVID as well. And we've been dealing with it since then. So to be able to have some sort of sense of normalcy back, I think is, is always a good thing. Well, Blythe, as we say in Boston, good luck to you in the Red Sox. <laughs> Thank you for coming from a Patriots fan. <laughs> uh, no, I was screwed. I lived in Staten Island from when I was four to when I was eight. My dad was a Jets fan, and the first football game I went to was a Jets game, so I've been cursed with that crappy <laughs> oh, Okay, all right. Well, yeah, I guess you kind of, we're kind of even in that regard then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it, Dooner. And uh, thanks again. And I look forward to watching the incredible rocket ship that is Freight Waves continue to grow. Yeah. Join us at F3, November 8th to 10th. We'll be there. 